you can open up your phone. Check the golf tournament. Be sure and have your Bible app open as well. Grace and peace. So glad you guys are here. Especially, there are many of you who are our guests from out of town today. And we're thankful you make up an important part of our church family, this congregation uh, here. We're actually sort of a small, little congregation. And some of you, don't, you may not believe that. But if you're a, a, a guest today, not a member, raise your hand. Just, we won't embarrass you any more than that. But look around. Look around how many of you are here. We're so glad you're here today. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for being here. We hope that you are encouraged to grow closer to Christ today. We are, uh, as Kelly said, we just finished VBS. Many good things happened this last week. One of the things that was really great that I enjoyed is that the, the Hills joined us, uh, the youth group from the Hills on South, I'm saying it right, South Lake, is that right? I, start, I almost said South Park. I know that's not right. Yeah, that's right, but it's their campus at South Lake, I believe. I think that's where they're from. They were here, about 25 or 30 of them, and one day in the afternoon, they went to do a service project. They went up to the care center, which is up in uh, Upper Canyon, right at the little traffic circle, and they went to sing for them, and they were, they were going to sing a few hymns, and they had this great worship leader. His name's Luke here. He's an amazing guitar player and a great worship leader, great heart of worship. And so he led them, and they did a great job of singing these older hymns, and then they were there to play bingo with the folks up there, and that was their, their little service project for that day. So they sang the three or four songs, and then the youth minister said, okay, we're ready to play bingo now. And one of the ladies that was uh, a, you know, a person that's in the care center there, she said, sing some more songs. And so they did. They just flexed with it, and they kept singing old hymns, and they stayed there for a long time. Well, they made such an impression on the director there. The director and I made friends and talked to each other, and uh, we have an appointment this Tuesday, and Johnny Smith is going to go with me. He's helping with uh, some, some of this kind of ministry. Johnny Smith and I are, are going to go and meet with this lady who's the director there to see if our church family here at Gateway might have some ministry opportunity there. And that was another extended blessing that happened from Vacation Bible School. So I'm really thankful for that. Speaking of this deal with Johnny Smith, he's also working, he and Mary both are working with Mescalero Care Center. And next Sunday, they're going to the Mescalero Care Center at 2 o'clock. And if you would like to join them, they're going to go out there and have a short church service, a worship service. I believe they'll take communion probably with them when they go. So if you would like to go next Sunday at 2 o'clock, you just join them at the Mescalero Care Center. Johnny and Mary, raise your hand real high for us. There they are right there. So if you have any questions, you come talk to Johnny and Mary Smith about next Sunday at 2 o'clock. We're in this series called God Helps Those Who Help Themselves. And we're obviously, we know that the place He helped us the most is right over there at the cross. That He helped us us because we could not help ourselves. It was not possible for us to be good enough, do enough, know enough, be obedient enough. We couldn't. None of us. 
No one on the whole planet. And Jesus did it for us. He did all the completed work of salvation at the cross on our behalf. But what we've been looking at this summer is that as we go through the Old Testament, we see that this is God's character. He helps those who cannot help themselves. And we've been going through the entire Old Testament finding this story, the good news, over and over and over. And we have a couple more weeks. Today we're going to talk about wisdom. And that's why we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 3 looking at the story or just the beginning story of Solomon today. And because most of you know that story, what we're going to be reading about, it made me think about all the jokes. There's so many jokes about finding a little lamp and rubbing it and a genie pops out and gives you some wishes. There's, there's hundreds of jokes like that. My two favorites that I recently read in the last couple of weeks, one of them was this, that, uh, um, that a guy a man and a woman that have been married for 40 years. They're 60 years old. They're walking on the beach together. They've been together since they're 20 years old, so now they're 60. And they find this lamp, and they rub it, and this genie pops out and says, thank you, I'll give you three wishes. And so the lady, before the guy can even open his mouth, she goes, we want $10 million and a yacht. And he goes, hey, hey, hold on a second. Well, poof, there's $10 million and a yacht. He said, you've been doing this our whole life. You always talk before you let me talk. Now, you got to give me one of these wishes. She said, okay, fine. I got two. You take the last one. Well, he thinks in his head, I would really love to be on that yacht with that $10 million with a younger woman. And so he says, my wish is that I could be on that yacht with $10 million with a woman who's 30 years younger than me. And poof, he was 90 years old, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> serves him right. But that's not even the best one. The very best one of all is the one, where, uh, is the one where a guy finds a lamp, he rubs it, the genie comes out, and, and the genie says, I'll give you one wish. Well, this guy's serious. He thinks about it. He's like, man, that's a big, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of responsibility. One wish? And so he thinks about the whole world. And he says, I'll tell you what, if I only have one wish, he says, look at this map. And he pulls out a map and he shows the genie. He says, look over here in the Middle East. Look at this. He said, these people have been warring with each other. The Palestinians and, and uh, the Israelites have been warring with each other for thousands of years. And so I guess what I'm going to ask is if you would please bring peace to the Middle East. That's my one wish. That, that's my wish. And the genie looks at the map and he's like, man, that, that's, I can do a lot, but I think you ask too much. You ask more than I'm able to do. And so the guy said, okay, well, good, because I actually have a more selfish wish. And here's my selfish wish. He goes, I am this huge Dallas Cowboy fan. I love the Dallas Cowboys. They're my favorite team. I have a whole room committed to them at my house. And I'm just asking for one season. It's a package deal. One season that we could have a winning record. We could beat the, the Eagles, the, the, uh, the Redskins, that we could beat the, the Giants, and we could win our division. We could go through, and, and that our quarterback won't choke during the playoffs. And that we can make it through all the way to the Super Bowl, and when we get to the Super Bowl, that we could be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers, and during the game, we could break Ben Roethlisberger's leg. That's what I'm just wishing for, and that we would win the whole thing, and wait, there's more, and that none of our players would get arrested this year, and... Oh, and one more, and that Jerry Jones would be nice to everybody and wouldn't say anything dumb. And the genie looks at the guy, and he goes, well, all right, let me see that map again. 
So. <laughs> That's the best one. Solomon gets this most amazing offer from God. We're about to read about it. It's incredible. The Almighty Creator of the universe, God Almighty, comes and says to him, I'll give you anything you ask. And Solomon makes a lot better choice than any of the jokes that we can read about genies in a bottle. So we're going to read from 1 Kings 3. But before we do, we're going to pray. And every week we pray for a different congregation that's in our, in our area from all different denominations. But today, we're going to pray for Ranch Church. Some of you may not know what Ranch Church is, but uh, Kim and Patricia Chesser, he's one of our elders at our church, and the fifth Sunday, that's four times a year, they have, uh, they, they have what they call Ranch Church on their ranch, and they invite other ranchers from around, and usually I think it's a couple dozen people or more who come to their house, so that's where they are today and they're having ranch church. So we're going to pray for them. And I think they have had some people who come who are not Christians, who are lost. And so I want to also pray for people that we know who are lost today. How many of you know someone that you care about that is lost? Raise your hand if you have somebody like that. Okay. There are a few of you who didn't raise your hand. And that may be because you hate it when preachers ask you to raise your hand. It's like your least favorite thing in the world. And it may be possible that some of you literally don't know anybody who's lost. And so during this time, I'm going to pray for God to help you know someone who's lost because you're the light of the world. So let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this time to study from your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that as we read this today, that you would change our hearts. Help us not to be the same when we leave here. Help us not to be something we do to check off our list, God. Help it not to be a habit. Help us to bring our hearts and lay them out before you today that I would bring John Duncan's heart and lay it before the Lord God Almighty and ask you to work in my heart today, God, and that each person here would do the same. Father, we pray for the Chester family today. We pray for Ranch Church. We ask you in the name of Jesus that you would bless their time there today, that the gospel would be clearly presented the simple truth of what Jesus, who He is, and what He's done for us. And that people would be drawn to put their faith in Christ. And all of us today that raised our hand and are thinking about people we know who are lost, we lift those names up to you right now. We ask you, God, to save these people from hell. Please, Lord, awaken something in our hearts that we might not be lazy or that we might not be complacent, or that we might not give a rip. Help us to give a rip, God. Help us to care deeply about these people that we know. And we, we pray that you would be doing the work of drawing their hearts to you, God. That you would be doing the work of bringing them to Christ. Could you use us? Yes, I know you could, Lord. So give us courage to speak up, to invite, to love, to show up to do whatever you, Holy Spirit, lead us to do in these people's lives. We pray for lost people today that the truth of the song Amazing Grace would be their story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And we pray all this through the name of Jesus Christ our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. 1 Kings chapter 3, 
And we'll start in verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. What a strange three verses of the Bible. What in the world is going on here? These are God's people. This is the king of Israel. These are the people that God rescued out of Egypt. That's their enemy. Egypt is the people who put them in slavery, who taught them to worship other gods. God rescued them out of Egypt. And here the king of Israel is making an alliance with their enemy. What in the world is going on? He's marrying the daughters of Egypt. And if you read the whole story, you'll find that caused him a lot of problems later. Also, the people are sacrificing on the high places. What in the world is that? Well, it's just the hills around where people would go to do idol worship. They would go up to a high place and they would do idol worship. And here are the people of God going up onto those idol worshiping spots and they're worshiping Yahweh there. But in Leviticus chapter 17, there's clear instruction. The place to go worship God is at the tabernacle. That's what God has commanded. They're not obeying Him. And yet this scripture says that Solomon showed his love for God. He loves God. But what in the world is going on? He's following the practical wisdom of the culture. That's what everybody does, maybe Solomon would say. They all go to the high places. They all marry people from other countries. They all make alliances. That's what everyone does. It's the way things work, John. The same can be true for you and me. I believe you're here because I believe you love the Lord. That's why we're here. We love God. But sometimes we find ourselves following the culture around us instead of following God and His Word. We find ourselves following our own intuition, our own wisdom, instead of being guided by the Holy Spirit. So there are two lessons today, and here's the first one. Here's the first lesson. Number one, don't mindlessly follow the culture. Don't say, well, that's how everybody does it. Now, the culture may be doing things that are fine, and it might not be a problem, but we need to question what the culture is doing. We don't need to just go along and swim with them and say, well, whatever they do, that's what we do. Don't mindlessly follow the culture and say, ah, that's how everybody does it. That's the first lesson that we learned from 1 Kings chapter 3 today. Now I'm going to read verses 4 through 15, and I don't have it on the screen. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to, you're welcome to open it up or look on your app on your, on your phone, or you can listen closely, but I'm going to read the rest of this section of Scripture of what happens between God and Solomon here. Verse 4, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wow. Solomon answered, 
You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So, Here's his request. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for wisdom. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and my commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord, the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then he gave a feast for all his court. Wouldn't that be nice? When you think about your own life and sometimes the confusion, or you don't, you have got questions, you're not sure what to do, you don't know where to, what to do next, how am I supposed to handle my life? Wouldn't it be nice if God would pop down and give you one wish, just any wish, and then you could ask for wisdom just like Solomon did? You could say, I want to be wise. Now some people would say this, Some people would say God doesn't work that way anymore. That was in the Old Testament. God used to work like that, but God doesn't work that way. He doesn't come down and give people one wish. And you might be right about that if that's what you think. But I want you to listen closely and read with me. James chapter 1, verse 5. But if any of you needs wisdom... That's me, and that's you. You should ask God for it. He is generous to everyone and will give you wisdom without criticizing you or without finding fault or without prejudice. It's amazing. This is an amazing New Testament promise. Do you need wisdom? Ask God for wisdom. And he promises he'll give you wisdom. That sounds exactly like the story of Solomon to me. Exactly. You can have the wisdom that Solomon had by praying and asking God, give me wisdom in my life for what I'm facing. So this is the second lesson right here. Number two, believe that God still gives wisdom to anyone who asks. Believe it. Because I am guessing, at least by the conversations I've had throughout my life with people who attend church, most of us don't believe it. We don't believe God really gives us that kind of wisdom. Believe it. The Bible says it. Believe what the Bible says. God will give you wisdom. It's not wisdom from man. It's wisdom from above. You can have the same wisdom that Solomon had from God. And we need it today. I believe we need it today more than 
anybody's ever needed it before. For one of the reasons, we have so many choices. I went a few weeks ago, I was thinking about it, actually been several months ago, I went to get some toothpaste. And I go to the wall to get toothpaste, and here's, here's, here's the choices. And I, if, you, you know, if you stop and read the boxes, it's like, okay, this is going to help with gum disease. And I start thinking, do I have gum disease? I wonder if I, I mean, I go to my dentist and stuff, he would tell me, surely. And this one will keep your enamel strong and keep your enamel from falling off. I'm going, is my, I wonder, I wonder if my enamel's on there. Is it on there still? And this one has got fluoride in it. And this one's for gingivitis. And this one is for on and on and on. It's got all these different things. And I start thinking, man, I, my health, I wonder about my health. I probably should go back for another checkup. It's been a couple of years, and I need to get on the right diet, and I need to start exercising more. I just went to get some toothpaste. I just want to brush my teeth. And all of these choices just start, they, they drive me nuts. I don't know about you, but this is the way I feel. And we have a lot more important decisions to make than toothpaste. Lots of people in this room, the children in this room, the teenagers in this room, some of the adults in this room who are either widows or divorced or, or just have been single in your life or stayed single. There are single people all over this room. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to get married? And if I get married, who am I going to marry? That's a big, huge decision. You need God's wisdom for that. Some of you that are in high school, those of you that are graduating, you're trying to decide, where should I go to school? What should, my, what should I get a degree in if I go to school? Where should I go to trade school? What should be my career? What kind of things should I do? Where should I live? What town should I go to? These are questions that are difficult to answer. And you need wisdom from God. There are also things that for, for hundreds of thousands of years, many people never had to make these decisions. Never. Someone just told them. You're getting married to this person right here. And you guys are getting married in two years. The decision's made. And you're going to do the same thing your dad did. He was an electrician. You're going to be an electrician. And you try to go live across the mountain at the other side, and the clan would say, what are you doing? This is our clan. Go back to your clan. Get out of here. And your decisions, many of them would just be made for you hundreds of years ago and still quite literally all over the world today in other cultures. But we are inundated with huge important questions. We need God's wisdom more than ever before. And we can't just get it from our culture. We can't just get it from our experiences or our family. We need God's help. And thankfully, He's a God who helps those who need help, who can't help themselves. When we pray for wisdom, God gives it to us at least in three ways. Okay, at least in these three ways right here. First of all, He gives it to us through His Word. And that's why it's not like a rule, like you need to be reading your Bible every day so that God will love you and so you can go to heaven. That's not what it's about. It's because we love God and we know He has wisdom. We want to be reading so that we're getting from God what He wants us to do. The second thing that He gives us is guidance of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, 15, and 16 walk right through the things that the Holy Spirit, that He does in your life if you're a believer. He comforts you. He counsels you. He guides you. He reminds you of God's Word. He convicts you of sin. These are all ways that God brings wisdom into your life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then through the community of believers. God gave us each other. He gave us a church family. 
And yes, churches, there's a lot of churches that are represented here today because you guys are from all over different places. And every one of them is somewhat messed up. They're all messed up, but they're still the bride of Christ. Still the church that He loves. And He gave us each other so that we could learn from each other. So that we could watch one another. And we could see wisdom years walking ahead of us from other people. And mistakes people made. And how God forgave them. And that we could live together and stay together even when we have problems with each other. That we gain wisdom and we gain growth by forgiving each other and loving each other. I'm just going to practically give you four questions that I think a lot of people wonder about in their life and need wisdom for. And that's how we'll finish today. Here they are. Who should I marry? Those of you who are single, if you should get married, who should you marry? Well, the culture says this. Marry someone who makes you happy. Marry a person that, that, that just brings out the best in you. I, w- I was at a wedding last night. It was a beautiful wedding, beautiful people, beautiful families. I had a great time there. And the best man, when he made his speech, where everybody raises their champagne and they have a toast, when he made his speech at that time, he said, we're all here because we know that love is the, the greatest thing in the world. That love is the only thing that can make us happy. And he said to the groom, I'm so glad you found the person who makes you happy and gives you purpose in your life. That's a lot of pressure on that young lady. They don't know it yet, but she's going to fail. <laughs> Not because she's a bad person, but because she's a human being. The culture says you've got to find somebody who gives you meaning. You've got to find a mate who just, they, they give you purpose and, and they make your whole life perfect and wonderful. Or maybe you need to find someone who gives you security or helps you get ahead in the world. The world tells us, the culture tells us these things, but the Bible tells us some things about this. We can gain from the Word. Here's a couple of verses. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, You're not the same as those who do not believe. This is talking to people who are single by the way. So do not join yourself to them. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. If you're a single person and you're thinking about marrying someone and they are not a believer, the Bible tells you don't do that. Don't marry someone who's not a believer. It says don't be joined with them. I can't think of a more joining thing than being married to someone. Who should I marry? I should marry a believer. 1 Corinthians 7 says basically the same thing. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. Man, that's what the culture says. You can marry anybody you want, but he must belong to the Lord. The Bible gives us wisdom. God, our Father, is trying to protect us and give us the very best life that we could possibly have on this earth. And so he's giving us wisdom 26 years ago, Amy and I got married. And so about 28-ish years ago, I was praying for God to bring me a godly wife. I had been single and very happy single, but I suddenly was ready to be married. I was suddenly very lonely, and I began to pray. And I asked God, bring me, please, Lord, bring me a godly wife. And it just so happened. It just was a coincidence. It was just 
by chance. It was just luck. That's all it was that Amy happened to come visit her family in Clovis to see her uncle and aunt. It was just a lucky day. It was not a lucky day. It was God's Holy Spirit working in our lives, leading us and guiding us. That's what was happening. And I grew up in a community of believers. I had watched many godly couples And I recognized, because I had watched many godly couples, I recognized in Amy, of course she's beautiful. I recognized that instantaneously. I ain't no dummy, okay? But I recognized her inner beauty, her Christ-likeness, because I had grown up in a community of believers. And I had seen that. And everyone that was in my family and that was in my Christian community just said, yes, John. They said, yes, Amy is amazing. I listen to him and ask him questions. She's incredible. She's, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. Don't let this one go. God leads us by giving us wisdom through the Bible and the Holy Spirit and the community of believers. Wisdom that we can't get or figure out just by our own culture or intuition or family. What about this question? What should I do with my excess money? What should I do with my excess money? Now, some of you might say, I don't have any excess money. And I'm here to tell you the truth in love today. You are wrong. You do have excess money. Because excess is anything above money for food, clothes, and staying warm and dry. And almost without exception, every single person who's here today came in a car. And you came from a place where you stayed, that you live in, or that you're renting. And that place where you live, you've probably upgraded things in that house. And you've landscaped the outside. And every now and then you go out to dinner at a nice place. And you go on vacation. Many of you are on vacation right now today, sitting here with us, worshiping God. And you pay for music lessons for your kids and soccer cleats. And some of you say, well, all that stuff you just said isn't really true about me. I'm barely making it from week to week. I'm barely hanging on with the money that I get. And even those of us who might be in the lower socioeconomic level, we still have a phone. I'd give you a challenge this week. Find a human being who doesn't have a phone. Well, I mean, maybe I was going to say, maybe Carner, right? Okay, if they're not old enough yet. But you find somebody who's old enough that doesn't have a phone. You've got a phone. You have a TV. Some of you have enough money to get a tattoo or a $2 soft drink from a convenience store. No matter who you are, if you live in America, and especially if you're here today in Rudoso, we have excess. Don't say you don't have excess. Now, I'm talking about margin. I'm talking about leftover. And so when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about what you give to God because if you are a follower of Christ, God tells you, you give me not the margin, not the leftover. Don't ever do that to God. Never, ever, ever give God what you have leftover. You start with your first fruits. You get your paycheck and the very first thing you do is you give to God. That's what the Bible teaches us about giving. Now, I'm talking then about what do we do then with what's left over? At the end, what do we do? The culture says we'll invest it. Build it up more. 
Hoard it. Buy some gold. Put it in your safe. Keep it away from other people. Buy a gun to protect it. Upgrade everything you own so that it'll be worth more money. That's what the culture tells us, and it's not necessarily that any of that is quote-unquote sinful. It's just that here's what the Bible says about what should we do with our excess. Luke chapter 12. This is a man who had excess. He had a big crop. And this is what it says. The man said, what, he's asking himself, what am I going to do with all my stuff? Then this is what he said. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. God calls us foolish if we only store up here. If we take our excess and we say, I'm storing up here. Well, how are we supposed to store up there? Well, 1 Timothy, Paul tells us, chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present world. That's you and me. We're the ones who have excess. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's how we build up. That's how we lay up and store things in heaven instead of here. And the Holy Spirit's going to have to guide you to help you know, well, where do, I, where do I give my excess? Do I give it to this ministry? Do I, do I help that person? And you need wisdom from the Holy Spirit. And you need to listen to the community of believers and hear people talk about what do you do with your excess. This last Sunday, there was a, a group of people from the Tipton Children's Home in Tipton, Oklahoma. They were here, a husband and wife, and I believe it was uh, 10 girls or 8 girls. And they were all here last Sunday, and they heard us talking about the thing that's on your pew, which is for Kenya widows and orphans that you can give to today if you'd like to. And, and they heard about that, and they also heard about what Connor said about the backpacks. So here's the cool story, the way it happened. I'm seeing if the pillows, I don't see the pillows here today. That's because they are working their rear ends off over at uh, Fun Tracker. So the Pillow family goes out to eat lunch and they see these girls from the children's home and Jim Pillow buys them lunch. Now that's awesome. That's our, that's our folks, that's our people using their excess in good ways, in ways that store up treasure in heaven. And so the man that's from Tipton Children's Home, he had given each girl $10 for them to buy their own lunch. And so he said to them, you can keep the $10 and you can do whatever you want with it. Well, those girls all gathered up and they came back to the husband and wife and they said, we heard that deal at church today and we want to give our money, $50, of, they collected it all together, we want to give $50 of it to Kenya widows and orphans and we want to give $50 of it for the backpacks. And so on Wednesday night at our VBS, those girls all came back and they brought all that money back to give. That's the community of believers deciding what do we do with our excess? And those girls are setting the example for all of us adults. Thank God for the answer, for the wisdom. God leads us. He gives us wisdom about what to do with our excess when we can't figure it out just by our culture. What should I do about the person that I'm mad at? 
what should I do about the person that I'm mad at? The culture says, get revenge if you can, or destroy them if possible. And if you don't have the power to do those, then just ignore the person. Avoid them. Have you ever known somebody was mad at you because when they saw you, they just walked past you and ignored you? Or the culture says this, complain about that person. Get a group of people together. If you're mad at somebody, get a group that is mad and complain about that person. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. That's a command from God. And yet we so often as Christians struggle with just giving in to the culture. We do what the culture tells us to when we're mad. We don't care what the Bible... No, that's not true. We do care what the Bible says. We're like Solomon. We love God. We want to do what the Bible says, but we're just going along with the culture. Matthew chapter 5 says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something to get you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come offer your gift. That verse is saying, if you're sitting in church here today, here's the commandment, and you think, yeah, I am mad at a person right now. Really what this verse is saying is, get up right now and leave. Go to the parking lot and go call that person on the phone right now and make things right with that person. Or maybe it's someone in this worship center right here, right across, right across the way. We don't want to embarrass each other. But God would be saying, as, as soon as this is over, what's more important than you saying the right prayers or saying in Jesus' name or singing the right way is for your heart to be right that you would go across and you would say, I need to talk to you because I'm angry. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 8, 18. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. The Bible says, are you angry with someone? This is the commandment. Talk to the person. There is no place that I've ever found in the Bible, anywhere. If you found it, please help me. I'm always learning. Always learning new things about the Bible. If you found it, come and show me. I've never found a place in the Bible that says, if you're angry at somebody, talk about that person. That's what God wants you to do. Talk about other people. The Bible doesn't say that. It says go talk to the person you're upset with. This is God giving us wisdom. Wisdom that we can't figure out by our own culture or by our own experience. Here's the last one. How should I raise my kids? How should I raise my kids? I found one picture that I kind of like. I'm tempted to go toward this one. You know, I kind of like that. I don't know. I, I've, it's probably not biblical and it's probably not wise, so I'll go ahead and go back to the other guy. But how should I raise... My kids, the culture says this, don't ever spank them, that's for starters. Never spank your kids. Make sure you, you know, amp up their self-esteem, their little, their little, they're so fragile self-esteem, keep it up high, give them a trophy for everything in the world. Make sure that they're happy all the time. Being happy is the most important thing in the world and make the road easy for them. If a coach or a teacher or a principal ever says anything bad about your kid, you destroy that person. That's what the culture says. And I might be exaggerating, but I don't think I'm exaggerating very much. But the Bible teaches that parents who love their children will discipline them. God is the very best parent in the universe, and He disciplines us 
with painful things. And that's what we're going to talk about next week in our series. Why does He do that? Is He trying to get back at us? Trying to hurt us? No, it's because He loves us. But there are very specific questions about every single child, every single situation. They're all different. It's not a rule that fits every single kid. So how do we decide? Well, the the Spirit. We ask the Spirit to guide us with each child that we're raising. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you ask yourself, can I experience this fruit if I raise this child this way? Can they experience this fruit if I spank my kid, if I ground my kid, if I lecture them? Can they experience the fruit of the Spirit? And the Spirit may be leading the same parent to spank one kid and to not not spank the other one. This one, you'll destroy them. Don't spank this kid. But this one right here, they, they need their butt busted every day. All right? The Spirit may be saying that to some parents. You can watch godly parents in the community of faith. How did they raise their kids? And you can learn from them. God guides us and He gives us wisdom that we can't figure out just by looking at our culture or our experience or our own family. There may be some of you here today who you need some wisdom for something going on in your life. You can't believe you showed up to be a guest today from Texas. You just were getting out of the heat and you can't believe we're talking about the wisdom that God gives because you're in a place in your life today where you desperately are in need of wisdom. There'll be some people here that could pray with you about that. Or you could simply do this. You could do what the Bible says. Ask God for wisdom. And He promises He'll give it to you. And it's possible in a room this size, with this many people, that there may be some people who haven't done the wisest thing that you could ever do in the history of the whole your existence. And that is to ask this Jesus who died in your place to ask Him to be your Savior. I've been praying that God would draw some of your hearts today. I don't even know most of you. And I've been asking that God would draw some of your hearts to Him, that He would do that work of salvation in you today. And if there's some of you who have done that, you did that a long time ago, but you've never, never done the wise thing that the Bible commands, and that's to be baptized. We'll baptize you right here, right on the other side of that waterfall right there. We'll baptize you. We baptized two people last week. The water's warm and the waiters leak. So we would love to baptize you into Christ today if, uh, if God's leading you in that direction. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our kids being here. We pray that they've listened closely and that they indeed will always follow after your wisdom. And us adults, God, We get pretty crusty. We get pretty hard-hearted. We get pretty cynical. We think we know how to do things because we've had some experience. Humble us, Lord. Keep us humble. Help us to ask You for wisdom today for whatever we're facing. We pray that You would bring glory to Jesus through the wise choices we make. All for His glory. We pray it all in His name. Amen.